You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here in downtown Batuta in the Diamond Tennis Shire. We've got a returning guest this week. Errol Parker and myself were excited about this guest. When you say Errol, he's, he's done a... He's, yeah, he's, you know what, what I always like to say about this podcast is that more often than not on this interview podcast, it's quantity over quality. You know, mm. each week we have to shoehorn some radio host, some two-bit sportsman into this show to, you know, to keep our listeners happy. But, you know, this week is not one of those weeks. This is a week where we have... Where everyone's happy. This is a week where, you know, it's going to be a conversation worth listening to, as Abs- opposed to many of our previous ones. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, stories about 19-year-old footballers doing an Achilles tendon and how important that is to the world. Or uh, listening to some politician tell them, you know, just come in here and just fucking lie to me. Where You yeah. know, you, you've, you've got these people that come in, they've been, they're a lifelong public servant, and you ask them, it's like, you've been... In the Liberal Party, have been in the Labor Party since you were nineteen. What in blue fuck do you know about the world? And People then, like that, and then they proceed to lie. Yes, yeah, they, and then they just bullshit to you. Well, today's guest, uh, as I mentioned before, it's the second appearance on here. He's a Western Queensland export, which is why we're we're very happy to have him on. You know, a bit of representation in the Australian media, particularly. He makes up uh, what I believe is this uh, new, I guess we'd call it, the Queensland literary renaissance. He's joined by the esteemed Rick Morton, local Batuta boy. Bridie Jabour, who we've had on here before. She's from Grafton, but we'll claim her. Uh, Spent a lot of time in Queensland. And, of course, Bree Lee, Trent Dalton, Melissa Lukashenko. There's a lot happening in the Sunshine State uh, when it comes to the words and letters. And today's guest is uh, is definitely a part of that. Lech Blaine, thank you for joining us. Good to see you guys. Now, Lech, uh, last time we spoke, you had just finished writing an essay that was published right across the country about Hillsong, about the Hillsong Church. And uh, you also kind of came to our attention when you wrote a long-form kind of journalistic essay about the 2019 election result, How Good Is Queensland?, and since then, you've kind of um, followed that line of writing, you know, uh, talking about the Australian middle class, the Australian working class, a, a lot of stuff on rural Queensland, and you're actually quite good at dissecting, you know, the fears and anxieties and aspirations of people that are completely ignored by the project or by even the ABC, unfortunately. The inner city media elite have, have lost their way, and uh, everyone was quite interested in these essays you're writing, which was then... I kind of uh, contextualised by your memoirs that you released early this year, Car Crash by Lech Blaine. That gave us a good insight as to who you are and where you're coming from with your writing. And you've gone ahead and written another essay, uh, which we'll get to later in the show. But uh, I want to start with the memoirs. It tells the story of uh, you know your your young adulthood, your teenage years, and how and a lot of people in Queensland will remember this yarn. You were involved in a car accident where you were the only person to get out of the car uh, unscathed physically. And it kind of goes into what else, you know, comes with that. Obviously, there's a lot of scarring and a lot of injury that people don't see, and especially when you're in a small town and there's a lot of young kids involved. Can you tell us about Car Crash? What was it like? It obviously took you a while to write, but how does it feel getting that out there? Such a big part of your life, you know, a pivotal moment in your life and, and such a big part of everyone else's lives who are involved in the book. That you mentioned. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I've done, and it took me obviously a long time to write and a, a lot longer to live through. And the whole process of then publishing it, and um, even now still talking about it, like it, it probably hasn't still sunk in. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not something that you know. I, I definitely haven't come to peace with the accident itself. I haven't really, it hasn't fully sunk in that I wrote a book about it and published it. If, if all those things had have sunk in, well, I wouldn't have been able to like publish the book, let alone go out and do interviews about it and talk about it publicly. So it's, um, yeah, it's just one of those day-to-day things. You know, it, it occasionally still occurs to me that like I have written this book and that it is out, out in the world and, and that people are, are reading it uh, completely unbeknownst to me. And so you get, then you get, Feedback, especially from people who it personally affected, that sort of makes it worth it. But there's no point that you really fully become comfortable with it. it that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth doing, but it just means that like it, it's always an ongoing question. Like, uh, what, do the benefits outweigh um, yeah. the the sort of discomfort that this might create for um, for other people? Now, with a story like yours, I won't call it a book because it's you know your memoirs. Uh, with a story like yours, it's a confronting thing for a town to kind of, uh, first of all, go through. Oh, it's obviously a traumatic thing for a town to go through and then revisit as well. But it also does help in some capacity people to heal, you know, when they kind of think about everything and and everyone is remembered. You know, a lot of young blokes died in this car accident and, and Toowoomba, the town that you're from, is a small town. What did you learn about, you know, these kind of communities in the aftermath of, of the accident? Like, you know, th- there's a lot to be said, but do towns come together in that circumstance or when something is truly that kind of traumatic, do they kind of get a bit flustered and a bit restless? Yeah, so I had three mates who unfortunately died in the accident, Will, uh, Hamish and Henry. And so obviously you have any sort of fatal accident like that and there's a there's an element of voyeurism because it's a extremely traumatic but also very public event because you know the, some of the first people on the scene were cameramen and journos yeah. and reporters and that sort of thing so that that was really eye-opening and then facebook had just taken off so i remember going home that night like one of the last things i did before i fell asleep was to post a condolence message on facebook which is a pretty weird thing but it, it was the time you know that it, was, and, yeah. and, and, it, and it just did create this extra layer of you've been through this traumatic event there as i said i walked away from the front seat without a scratch so there was no barrier between me and going back into normal life if that makes sense Mm. uh physically i was yeah there was no where do you go after an event like that if you aren't injured if you don't have any injuries you just go you just go home and you go to bed and you're left to your own devices didn't didn't spend a night in hospital didn't didn't spend a night in hospital i had a um my parents had split up a year earlier so oh it was just me and my mum at home Uh, i was the youngest of six siblings so there was no there was no one else around and so uh i I remember talking to a mate a couple of years ago sort of as i was finishing off the book and i just asked him for his memories of of me at that time and he's like oh i just remember coming around to your house after school a few times just to see how you were going and i just remember you were just like on your laptop just just out in the granny flat just sort of like stationed there and it was almost like i was running a public relations campaign because there's a lot of stuff like 
that was public in terms of the posts that I was making, but then just a lot of private stuff and MSN was still a thing. And so you're yeah. just getting, you're yeah. almost like running a, a public relations campaign, not just for myself, but for the accident as yeah. well, because you have all these people who have questions and you yeah. feel a responsibility to sort of address the innuendos yeah. and the rumors. And, and oh. there was like so many, like there was just all these things that started as little innuendos that then became just truce and yeah. just just out like these outrageous stories that just grew legs and and became yeah. like a, a separate thing all of their own because Toowoomba is a you know it's a bit of an awkward sized town I mean like it's not really a town it's but it's not really a city there's 130 140,000 people that live there so do you think because it happened in Toowoomba it's that awkward size do you think that contributed to the you know this this rife kind of misinformation and innuendo gossip yeah totally and, and it's not just the it being small in the sense that it like a big country town in the sense that it, it like yeah. people know each other, but that it's big enough that you have, they have like seven and nine both have their own yeah. like stations running out of the town and they've got their own reporters and journos. Uh, and so there is like a need to fill the news cycle with stuff. Whereas a slightly smaller town doesn't have that. They're relying yeah. on, on outside news more. So it's, it's small enough. It's small enough that people have a feeling like that they know everyone, but it's like big enough that there's actually like quite a quite a large media ecosystem there. And with a town that size, is enough like something like that everyone knows about, and everyone who knows about it doesn't necessarily know those involved. So that's when they start. That's when they can be a bit carefree with their gossip and their and their kind of um, I guess the urban myths that kind of come out of it. And you know, as as you know, you've mentioned in your memoirs and is the, the police found it was, you know, this wasn't your classic drink driving young kids. It was a, a sober driver and it was a car accident. And then you've got to kind of deal with the rumor mill as well as the grief and the funerals and everything that's happening. You've got to deal with, you know, all kinds of bullshit that came out of that and what people think they know and people who thought they were there and people that were claiming they were there. Yeah. There was like the, we, we went to a barbecue after a, a rugby game in Toowoomba and, the most there was the seven of us who ended up being in the car, and then three others who were there for for a short time as well. And so this barbecue became like the biggest party that, yeah. that of of the year. Like there was hundreds of people there, yeah. and there was like stabbings talked about. There were like people with baseball bats and yeah. knives, and marijuana became this massive thing. Like there's all these people talking about how these bags of pot were like found in the car and stuff, and it just like which was just outrageous. Yeah. Like and. Yeah, still to this day, I, I have people who find out that I've written this story and they say, oh, you know, like, I, I actually know a family friend who was at that party that night and, like, uh, yeah, that's such a small world, hey? And you're sort of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, mate, read, there was, like, the, six read, of us. Read, read the book. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and so there, there was that. But then the really weird stuff was the stuff that happened subsequent to the morning period that wasn't even about the car crash. Yeah. So you go back into normal life, the driver Dom also, like he he, he was seriously injured, but he was back at school um, reasonably soon. Nick had a serious brain injury, but ended up back at school that year. So we were sort of like back in, the, in that teenage world. And yeah, it was sort of like, Gossip Girl on steroids, like yeah. the some of the shit that would come out about what, yeah. like I'd supposedly supposedly done at parties and yeah. and that's, and like um, yeah, it, it, it was bizarre because you and you'd get like people, you'd get you'd get 
to school on a Monday morning and you'd hear all these stories about the shit that you'd done over the weekend and you're just like, I wish half of this was true because yeah. it'd be, be, be yeah. about like how- You're lying, All me, these yeah. like, yeah, all like all the girls that you'd hooked up with and stuff and you're like, what's <laughs> like, what, yeah. how, how, like who's, yeah. who's who's like lying about yeah. hooking up with the survivor of a car crash yeah, or like yeah. social clout? Like it, it, yeah. it, uh, and, and I don't necessarily think that it's- I will- the, the late two thousands were a strange time for. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I don't necessarily like. Uh, I don't like demonize people who do, do lie about it because there's a certain kind of like psychosis that comes into yeah. it where yeah. people feel this almost compulsion to feel some connection to a, to a tragic event like that. I mean, on top of all this, you know, then you're planted back into high school and finishing, you know, grade twelve, and there's all those pressures that young people go through anyway at that time. Let alone with this you know, traumatic event that's kind of that's that's taken place in the middle of it. So you've got your grades, you've got you you've got to think about study and you've got to think and you've got to think about girls and you've got to think about all these things that everyone else is thinking about with this, you know, added kind of whirlwind of everything you and your mates went through. It seems like that time in your life was a wild time in Toowoomba in general. You know, your book kind of actually also mentions the floods mm. that were taking on, taking place up there. There's a leadership spill in the Labor Party. There's there's all this kind of stuff happening in the world. I mean, it's nothing like today's news cycle. You know, exterior news cycle where swine, swine flu was uh, yeah, swine flu swine, was taken. swine flu happened at the height of the uh, <laughs> yeah. e- exams that yeah. year. So yeah, it's actually weird, sort yeah. of like uh, foreshadow of what's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Ma- Michael Jackson overdosed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was (laughs) allegedly. (laughs) And you've got all this stuff going on, and um, and I guess your your book kind of uh, your story, like your own personal story, paired up with all these events, kind of tells an interesting story of Australia. I found anyway in your book. You know, you've got um, this cultural identity crisis that Australia is going through where we start to see this, you know, the start of all these leadership changes and these spills and stuff that's obviously followed uh, right through to the Liberal government. That was the start of it all. And then you've got climate change, you know. How long are we talking ago? It's over 10 years, just over 10 years ago now. Mm. And that was still the number one thing, tearing the political parties apart. Mm. Um, and you're kind of, I guess, in a part of the world where, one, you're experiencing the the effects of it because for whatever reason uh, maybe climate change there was a tidal wave that went down the main street of Toowoomba and, and, and that was just after <laughs> Toowoomba had nearly ran out of water as well and, yeah. and we'd had like the referendum on recycled water and so Toowoomba was at ground zero of like climate change actually being a not just a a physical thing that was happening in terms of drought uh, and then extreme weather events like the floods but also politically like it yeah. it sort of set the template for yeah. the misinformation that you get about um, uh, being funded by, we, we had a like a our own um, sort of local Donald Trump, Clive Berghoffer, who was funding these like misinformation campaigns about <laughs> about like kids getting th- three nipples, being born with three nipples if they drank recycled water. Yeah. And- yeah. And and just just purely because the interests were, oh, it's going to affect property development and the how and the property market if. Well, you know, we become Poowoomba. Poowoomba was a good tagline. It, it didn't help that they built the town in you know in the caldera of an extinct volcano. <laughs> so any rain that hits the side of this volcano ends up in the middle of town very quickly. Yeah, writing from your perspective too is an interesting lens because it's like you're the uh, I guess you'd say upper working class kid, uh, middle class kid, uh, and you attended a, a Catholic rugby league school. 
in Toowoomba, which is a famous school, um, you know, with the Jonathan Thurston and the Walker brothers as alumni. And that's, you know, it's just a kind of rugby league. For NRL Factory was mm. the school you attended. And um, you're kind of looking at this uh, this changing identity of what it means to be, you know, a, a politician. Like, you know, I, I guess it was probably just before it was fully realized that um, people like you and your family were the uh, the vote that the governments needed to capture, mm. you know. I mean, I guess Howard had done that, but um, you, you kind of are in the center of this whole thing, this whole kind of conversation around climate change, around politics, and everything. And you're the uh, you're the you're the battlers, I guess. And a lot of your friends, you, you're mixing with kids from the you know the elite schools, and yeah, we were like the that those aspirationals. We'd my parents had been sort of working class. We moved into what you you consider i guess a lower middle class yeah. uh and and yeah i i got the benefits of that and so i i missed out on all the all the struggle that you sort of get in terms of having to make ends meet like i, I didn't like really have any memory of that like i when i was really young we had lots of siblings so you'd sort of realize that it was a bit tough but yeah there was never any sense that that mum and dad weren't going to be able to put food on the table yeah. or buy like I, I remember when i was about 10 or 11 and that's just as the the mining boom was sort of taking off and our dad got a lease of a pub and things were doing really well there and there was just way more suddenly way more disposable income and i can actually remember i I can remember mum being like oh you don't have to we don't have to buy clothes from lifeline anymore and you can buy clothes from city beach now and i was like sick like this is and (laughs) here comes the velcro yeah yeah i got that that, those that the studded belt oh yeah i was like and, and like getting like new clothes and stuff like that like that was um like it, there was actually like a moment there where I was like, oh yeah, we're not actually, we're not actually what we were anymore. Yeah. And and being we moved when I was eleven, we moved from a really shitty house in the centre of town to the suburbs, yeah. which I thought was like we'd won the lottery and yeah. and it, where there was like fans in the bathrooms and like and like ceiling fans in the in the bedrooms and i was like fuck like we have like made it like and who wants to be a millionaire mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 like just and and so. I wasn't really piecing that all together at the time that mm. this was part of like something that was happening right across the country and mm. like changing the way that people, not so much my parents because they always, they, they were Labor Party members and sort of stuck with Labor, but a lot of those same people were suddenly becoming quite protective about their assets, their, their assets and their investments and before mm. they hadn't owned, you know, they didn't have multiple mortgages, they didn't have all, all yeah. these things to be really protective about and so that that's essentially what Howard was doing he was building this whole new base of of voters who were really um protective of their yeah. of their assets yeah and the boat people are tr- trying to take those assets from you yeah and the people yeah. and the people who weren't getting those assets who were missing out on those assets Howard was coming along with this these other enemies and these other issues that were sort of tapping into them and saying well the reason that you're the reason that you haven't jumped into the lower middle class or the yeah. or the or the middle class is because of asylum seekers or because yeah. of immigrants. Even while he was, or you like, haven't been working hard enough. Yeah, or you yeah. haven't been working hard enough. Even while he was massively boosting the immigration rate, like I, yeah. I think he like the immigration rates peaked under him. So he actually had no issue with um, no, large well, scale immig- immigration, but he was just using this very the, the fifteen people on a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as like this as, as this way to. Almost like a smokescreen from all this other shit that they were doing on the economy and all yeah. the loopholes that they were well, creating. Yeah. It's the the fastest way to grow an economy. Really, is just you know t- to bring in a bunch of skilled migrants. Yeah, mm. hyper educated migrants yeah. on airplanes. 
one thing I want to ask is, you're in the Nats heartland there, growing up in Toowoomba. A lot of your friends to this day might even go down that path, you know. You've got a lot of friends, you know, that's the world you grew up in. Oh, yeah, I've got fair, like, family as well. Yeah, like, yeah. You had, you had an yeah. uncle that ran against Pauline for, yeah. you know, the seat uh, in, in, in Toowoomba. Uh, sorry, in Ipswich. How did your old man, someone who, you know, you also mentioned in your book that you had a rock band, which I thought was uh, uh, very... Uh, very fitting and just showed how astute you were at the time you had a rock band called Negative Gearing. <laughs> like Most Australians yeah. figured out what that term was about six months ago. Uh, or at the last election. Yeah, the last election. You had a rock band called Negative Gearing because you could see all this stuff happening with your old man, uh, making his money and, you know, buying investment properties and stuff, which was stuff that, you know, uh, most people kind of realise that wealth and then they defend it, as you were saying. How did your old man, what, what uh, convinced him to stay with Labor? You know what I mean? Because he's, he's in a national heartland. All the conversations he's listening to are running down Kevin and Julia. Uh, oh, and, oh. He's got a, and he's got a fair bit of coin. That kind of makes him the, the, I guess, prime demographic. I think it was, I think there was probably a fair bit of class guilt. Yeah. And um, he'd, he'd done well for himself. And, and but, but a lot of those guys, a lot of his mates, tradies, who who were Labor back in the day? They actually they've actually they're the ones that have stayed Labor because yeah. they didn't feel ripped off by Hawke and Keating because they they did well out of this new economy so they weren't like they weren't pissed at at, at Labor um, they weren't necessarily the member of a union anymore but yeah he it, like looking back now it, it is actually <laughs> like like it. In some ways, it was good for business because we became we were the only like we were the only labor pub in town, and yeah. so we got a lot of business out of that in terms of unions having their meetings there. And you get what does the old Toowoomba labor voter look like? I mean, do they look like your old man, or they look like the old bloke at the bowls club, or are they old lefty librarians? What do they look? No, like? they're, well, they're, they're, well, there was two, but there was two sides of it because there was oh, it, factional labor. It in sounds yeah. it, it sounds it sounds weird because you don't think Toowoomba's that big, but I remember talking to there was like North Toowoomba, which is the seat, and then South Toowoomba. Dad ended up in South Toowoomba. That's where he was president of the branch. And I remember talking to this old solicitor from the North Toowoomba branch who ran for the federal seat there, and I was like, oh, what was it like back in the day going to? dad's branch meetings and he was like well there was just this massive class divide because all the labor members in north toowoomba were all solicitors and yeah, school yeah. teachers and stuff and then you go over to south toowoomba and it was all sparkies yeah uh the cleaning <laughs> union were massive there and so you'd walk in there and everyone would just be banging tables yeah. and just like talking about and like and all the talk was about increasing the pension increasing the yeah. dole it, protecting penalty rates like that that was like yeah. the, the like it was an, and, and there as a teenager being like a not having any Understanding of how hard it is to make ends meet because I'd never been in that position. I completely sneered at my dad's politics because I was like, "This is like you know, um, I'm worried about like I was worried about climate change and yeah. um, just thinking like this is this is so old school, this is so out of fashion." Yeah. Uh, and in in a lot of ways, it, it, he was actually seeing seeing a lot of the issues that were going to come up for Labor yeah. over the next ten years, yeah. which was that. A lot of these people, and you know, not just Labor, like social democratic parties right around yeah. the world, that a lot of these people had um, that he was trying to talk to had, were losing faith and losing touch with centre left parties. Yeah, I mean, the whole Rust Belt in the US, they all voted Obama, mm. and then they became the Trump heartland. And the same, what's what's the uh, the voter demographic like the voter theory in England? What's the name of the um, the theory they used? The, for- the Workington Man. Workington Man. Who is looks a lot 
a lot like an Australian swing voter, to be honest, but it's Northern England. That's who Boris won. Which I, was, I, yeah. over, over 40, doesn't have a university education, male, and is a rugby league fan. Yeah. That's not yeah. so, so he's, They'll win an election for you. So he's put up against uh, the Mondeo man. So that's the uh, that's an aspirational man. Like, well, like a Ford Mondeo is like they're equivalent of a, like a Commodore or a Falcon. Yeah, right. So, you know, they're the aspirational ones. They're the ones who are like, you know, I've been to the University of Woking. I've got my, you know... <laughs> IT degree and I'm having a red hot go on the outskirts of Manchester. Yeah, so there's, there's two, and then there's obviously it's the um, there's in America that they call it the you know the soccer mums. They can also change an election for you too, and it is interesting to see how these same demographics right around the world all uh, all translate. And you you write in uh, in your book and and in your most recent essay about people like your old man who um, probably wouldn't last. Uh, as a public figure, you know. The, oh, uh, mate, he wouldn't have lasted five yeah. minutes as a public yeah, figure. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty red hot. But he's, you know, he's brash, um, he's aggressive and macho, but he means the best. And, yeah. and he's a true progressive for, uh, uh, you know, for his fellow man and woman. And you kind of write about this in your new essay, which is called Top Blokes, you know, the myth of the larrikin. Your old man was a larrikin and he kind of snubbed his nose at authority, anti-war, you know, pro-soldier anti-war um, and kind of looked out for people. And do you kind of think that this kind of identity, this bloke going to these branch meetings, um, you know, this working class man or woman is kind of missing in the labour movement at the moment? Well, it, it, it's certainly still there, but I, I just, it's just totally um, like all of that grassroots stuff has just been totally hollowed out. And that's like a long term thing. It's not something that's happened in the last 10 years. Uh, and it's it's produced what we have now, where the parties are essentially both top down. They're there for the people who are who are, who want to be MPs. They they sort of need some cladding of of a um, of a grassroots, but it's not really like. Whereas historically, yeah. it was it was bottom up. You yeah. know, it was like the the people who were at the top were there because of this groundswell of people who were doing all of that shitty stuff and to, not just branch meetings but you know pamphleting and 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 not even just the political organized political stuff but just having the conversations like at a like yeah. the, the p- people underestimate how important that is when you have those people on the ground who are actually going out there and sticking their neck out and like yeah. and telling people like because word of mouth like that's that's how you that's how a lot of these elections are won and that's how you reach people outside of the Outside of the news, the Get Up campaign, yeah, yeah, but like it is, and and in pubs or in where where whatever sort of social setting where you've got people who are who are having those conversations and and persuading people on like a person to person level. That's true in the sense that you know the Maranoa, the seat of Batutas, uh, you know David Littleproud is is the federal MP, uh, was once and for many years Labor, 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 probably. Due to the fact they had the shearers and, and these blokes in town that would knock on doors and you know probably probably get a bit rough with the you know with the spreading the good word of you know as as a true b- believer almost a cartel operation with the unions and the bush but you know you speak to any of these diehard died in the wool Nats voters now or you know Morrison supporters and they've got someone in the family who's still got a bit of that in them or they have a grandpa or a grand they had a grandfather or grandmother who who was, you know, Labor, Labor. Mm. It's clear that Labor needs to 
reach out to these these people and and and, and stoke these fires if they're still burning in the bush if they ever want to win again. Mm. Can you see any of that? Can you see any of that happening? It, it didn't feel like it was happening under Shorten. Um, well, well it, it, it's not so much that to go back to the past. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that the Labor Party should go back to the past or try and recreate this system wholesale. It's like being able to appeal to enough people to win elections, which they at, at a federal level they haven't been consistently able to do. And so it's, it's not just reaching out to... People like from that that working class larrikin, like mm-hmm. it's reaching out to all different sorts of people yeah. that to to build a coalition. And the problem is that I think, and and it, it crystallizes more the more time that you spend in like, um, like that that I've spent somewhere like Sydney, where it's just not having any consciousness at all that there's uh, all, all these other people out there that don't that don't agree with you, and that that the things that you think are. Uh, just common sense, like that yeah. aren't shared by a wide, like widespread of pe- people, and and so me interviewing someone like my brother John, who's pretty conservative on a lot of issues, isn't to to say I think that the Labor Party should appeal exactly to John's point of view, but yeah. it's that there's more. I, I think that there's more people in the country who um, would agree with John on issues than there are that would agree with me on issues. Yeah. So it, it's like just having that sense of like this is actually how people think, and so. Just assuming that everyone's going to coming from a starting point of like all the, the the issues that you believe in, well, that's just not the case. So, like the Labor Party needs to be super aware of that and super aware of that, and just the way that they they speak and make sure that they're not talking to people as if all of these things are just accepted wisdoms. Because when you do that, then like it, it creates this sense that you're like that you're talking down to them or yeah, that, yeah. like that, like so they're that you, oh, you're policing them. Yeah, and and I think that there has been like I think that they. It's been quite subtle, yeah. uh, and and a lot of the people that they've been appealing to, I don't think would have even been paying any attention to them yet because yeah. they generally don't until an election's call. But I, I think that there has been a change in the tone, and I think that there has been a more more of a focus on the baseline issue for a, a social democratic party is improving conditions at work, yeah. and it is improving wages, and that's like the that's like the the mainline issue. And then these other issues, which are super important, can be like. Uh, calibrated through that, those those values, and so whether that's like an issue like climate change, like the the message needs to be like it. You don't even need to agree with that climate change is real to 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 see that the world is moving in a certain direction yeah. economically, and that yeah. a lot of these jobs are going to dry up because the the economic model is going mm. to change. And so you really need to be saying to people like this isn't a social issue. This yeah. is sort of like an economic issue, yeah. and 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 we need the the sooner that we can transition, and the more um, people we can bring with us on that transition, the better. And that's like the it's it it shouldn't be sort of like a moral. I don't think it needs to be a moral issue. Let's talk about the essay now uh, about what what it is and why you decide to write this. It's it's it's, it's with the quarterly essay. It's called Top Blokes, uh, the Larrikin Myth, Class and Power by Lech Blaine, or as uh, as Errol labelled you as you walked in, uh, Lechlin Murdoch, <laughs> which I guess is everything. It was the opposite of everything you're going for. Um, uh, with this because you are talking about uh, aside from these issues where you know there's political elites there is a political class that are tearing themselves apart and it's not just Labor we're seeing it, these these leaderships and these factions and the Libs and the Nats are just they're out of control because the you know they're not really sharing the same kind of values and there's a lot of ambition and there's a lot of 
once upon a time, a political staffer was a receptionist. <laughs> Nowadays, they are a you know they're waiting to get the nod for pre-selection, or they're or they're building like a lobbying network that they can yeah. you know. Um, they can cash in on yeah. down the down the line. Like. And there's, there's, or they're having kids with the boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's all this stuff going on. But on top of that, on top of this detached kind of uh, political class, you do have a detached media class right across the board. And they're at dinner parties with these same people. Um, so they're not likely to skewer them as hard as, you know, the old cadet journalist would have. You know, mm. the, the, the journalist that had no friends, you know, <laughs> had no mates, didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking like the Chris Masters, you know, spent a lot of time in Your pubs. Joe Astons. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, not interested in making <laughs> friends. And, you know, the, the Kate McClymonts, she, she, she's never really given a fuck about what the arts minister thinks of her, you know, yeah. even if she does. Does anyone to- give a fuck what the arts minister <laughs> yeah. thinks of her? Well, you know, a lot of journalists would because they, they, they do like this Keatingist kind of dinner party atmosphere. But outside of that detached kind of media class, which, which people would call left wing, lefty ABC shit. You have this machine, which is Murdoch, which is definitely accelerating this detachment um, mm. between the voters. And, and 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 you've written about the larrikin, you know, is something that Boris has done, Trump has done in some way or another. The larrikin in itself is uniquely Australian, and Morrison has played it perfectly. He did in 2019 anyway as the anti-politician. Mm. Um, anti-establishment. Anti-establishment. And, uh, and spe- especially coming after um, Turnbull, who definitely looked like your your run of the mill kind of liberal toff, um, and who loves a dinner party? Loves a dinner party, you know. <laughs> loves you know. Loves <laughs> hanging out with the Whiteleys and the fucking loves whatever. talking. Loves yeah, talking, nice. and um, you know you've got you've got this myth of the larrikin, which has existed in Australian politics for some time. But tell us tell us a little bit about what you kind of uh, found when you dug into this this myth. Well, yeah the the larrikin if it had any reality at all, which is disputable because there's so much bullshit that yeah. goes, and, and not just with the larrikin, but in terms of Australian, the the ideas about uh, anti-authoritarianism and um, a lot of the things that date back to our con- convict an- ancestry, and they've sort of been laundered for so long and become so detached from their actual reality. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that, but I think that there was some, th- there are differences in Australia. Like there is some reality to the sense that we, that, our economic system historically was was different to say America because we did believe in collectivism and yeah. um, and, and those sorts of things. There, there was lots of issues that went with that, like that. A lot of that drove the White Australia policy, for instance. So it's not all perfect, but yeah, the, there was this larrikin figure who was the anti-establishment, was sort of playful, mocked authority, and yeah, gen- generally came from that sort of working class place and even if they weren't perfect at least they were sort of authentic and that over time that figure just became like bastardized by all of these people in positions of authority and in positions of power and used to to connect with the average person and and yeah that that's the greatest that's like why i think that there is an opportunity for labor if they do critique some of this stuff is that this whole liberal idea of attacking the establishment is just like a complete load of bullshit and yeah. is just like the height of hypocrisy to talk about political correctness because the the whole like the whole system that behind the scenes of the liberal party and of the nats is just like not just the donors but the workers and the apparatchiks and like it is just as bad as labor if not worse because in a lot of ways it's not really talked about in the in, in the same way like mm. and they're 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 all at the same like they're all 
at the same dinner parties and they're all um they're, Malcolm Turnbull ran a business with Neville Rand, you know, New South yeah. Wales Labor Premier. They're all, but even the Conservatives as well. Like it's not like the, like this idea that this idea that it's just lefties who are who are chasing clout and trying to chasing yeah. power and manipulating things to get into power. Like that's like they're all going to the opera. That, that, that's what that, that's been the whole Conservative Emma, like the whole playbook for the past thirty years. Yeah. Like that, if anything, that they've just done it way better than yeah. like the lefties. Like yeah. they've 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 sort of done it while actually like presenting themselves as the yeah. one who are critiquing political correctness. Oh, yeah. You, you talk about political correctness in this country and, you know, the people that are talking about our freedom of speech, you know, the conservative pundits, usually these, like, layabouts, the anti-PC types on, on you know, Sky News and in the in the newspapers. Andrew, Andrew Bolt. Andrew Bolt, perfect Rowan example. Dane. You're going to tell me he doesn't clutch his pearls, you know? You're going to tell me that well, he- Well, they are the most politically correct- yeah. People in the country because yeah. they've got their set, like their, yeah. their set of rules. And if you stray slightly out of that, yeah. or if you're a woman, or if yeah. you're a person of color, yeah. uh, or if you're a Muslim, then you are fucking done. But we did see Yasmin, you know, the ABC uh, presenter who, you know, on Anzac Day, um, you know, and it was an insensitive thing to do, but she, you know, drew comparisons between, um, you know, the suffering that we're kind of overlooking in detention centers and, you know, the, and this, this, Kind of, it was a conversation starter. It was a conversation starter. It was provocative, but she was a Muslim woman, so she was banished. She left the country and kind of chased out by these free speech advocates who who are more than happy to see a bit of casual racism in the newspaper, but they don't like you know they don't like anyone else being being red hot. Well, it's and, and it's interesting because you're like even writing this essay and yeah. try, and trying to to be a bit pr- provocative. Like it, it just doesn't. It's never going to create. A, yeah issues for me in the same way as, as it would any of these people like because yeah. and, and, I, and I think the, the Batuta would be in the same space like that you might get some pushback occasionally from someone like a Bolt who might yeah. be a bit offended about something the Batuta said but he called us a sleeve shoot <laughs> no well, he, he he accused us of, of labelling him a pedophile <laughs> which we didn't we, we, we've never called him that the adjectives that we've used to describe him you know to the absolute extreme were we referred to him as being a sus cunt, <laughs> which which he's allowed to interpret that any way that he however wants. he wants. But also, we also well aware that if we were, you know, Muslim women, Aboriginal women, or even Muslim men or Aboriginal men, that we would have got hounded for speaking it, it, out it, like it that. For been, calling him it, a sus cunt, it, we would have. It would have been there, there would have been a a, a a campaign via the Australian and via yeah. News Corp, the, yeah. the yeah. op-ed writers like that, like that, and that would have been unrelenting. Know, yeah. The, there are two things that honestly protect us is that we have no money. <laughs> There's no money behind us. This is not a lucrative industry. And we look and sound the way that we do. Yeah. And they might and, and and the risk would be for them that they would actually drive the sort of people that they're appealing to towards like if they they would feel threatened to some extent by the like the, the authenticity that something like the Batuta has because they could they they'll end up like Awakening with within some of their own viewers the hypocrisy of like yeah. all this shit that they're talking about. Oh about. yeah, I mean you, you can you can sit around and talk about you know all kinds of stuff about political correctness gone mad and we should be able to do this and that and protesters should be allowed out in front of abortion clinics and this and that. But then a couple of African teenagers are playing basketball on St Kilda Beach and it's almost like you know it's almost like the end of the world. Mm. And uh, the African gangs, that shit, like that, that is political correctness in, in a sense because you just you've got your rules and people can't stray outside of them 
and it is pearl clutching. It's very sensitive. It's snowflake stuff. Yeah, I think I, I called Bolt and Dan the two most thin-skinned wowsers in the Australian media. <laughs> and, like, there, there is that, that. That's why, like, you know, there's – you can fight battle over semantics about the larrikin and, yeah. and like, well, like, why does that matter? Why is that relevant? And I, and I think that the, the re- one of the reasons that it was sort of, like, relevant is that you've – like, they've actually consciously made this play. Like, the Dean did the – the death of the larrikin and there is this idea from these pe- like figures on the right that they are the larrikin like they yeah. are the monument yeah. la- the dying breed of, of which, which which doesn't matter like who gives a fuck what like yeah. whether it's, you call called larrikin or whatever but it's like that it actually does have a really tangible effect the way that they yeah. they've co- co-opted the idea of being the the anti-authority authoritarian and being anti-establishment oh, like, yeah. and and it's playing out and actually having an effect and and um in some ways i think changing elections and, and winning people over and it's going even further because you know they've bought all the newspapers up in Queensland shut half of them down and Sky News is on free to air and, and Sky News is on free to air and so if you think that the issues that we saw uh, in 2019 with Palmer and climate change and um, news court papers in central Queensland was an issue well it's just going to be like where are we going to be in 10 years or even yeah. 20 years time yeah and it's just this is kind of you know, mythical nostalgia that they've created in people that, you know, you could laugh back then and you mm. could tell jokes back then. And, you know, some of the people they're interviewing about how comedy's gone down the drain because of the woke police or whatever, it's like we're interviewing absolute mugs, hack comedians, <laughs> you know. I'm not going to say any of their names because they're all just trying to make a quid. But, you know, them saying, oh, you couldn't say that anymore. It's like, mate, people weren't even laughing at your jokes about aeroplane food back then. Don't, don't blame When you're on the footy show yeah, in like yeah, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> Although it is interesting, though, in the essay, how you go through and explore people like Kerry Packer, which, you know, for for lack of a better term, really were, you know, essentially held by a lot of people as, as being the archetype type of larrikin, mm. which would be difficult, you know, for a lot of people these days to reconcile, you know, with with Kerry being a billionaire and whatnot. But he did have, like, a songbook of, of the quotes and the sound bites, which, you know, always people like to attribute to him, like that one about him in, in the casino in Texas with the oil baron, about him saying, you know, I'm worth $400 million, sir. And then old Kerry's like, well, I'll fucking roll you for it right now. And he was like, well, uh, and all these things about him, you, you know, you'd ought to get your head red if you don't try to minimise your tax. Is is that kind of what the the Liberal Party's trying to tap into? Yeah. You'd and say, like, it's, 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 it's this... You kind of know where they're coming from, like being, you know, like Scott Morrison, Eastern Suburbs, man, rugby union, a GPS school is now, you know, essentially hijacking this persona to appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, like to, like I critique Packer pretty viciously at times, but to his credit, like there was... He hated a lot of that shit, and like he was genuinely mates with a lot of those league players. Like he wasn't, yeah. Um, yeah. Like he, him and him and Artie and John Quayle and stuff. Like they were like they were genuinely mates. Mm. But yeah, you see the Morrison come along, and it's like uh, people are like, well, does it re- does it really matter that he's he's faking it because he's a politician, and that's what politicians do? And it's like, well, he's perfect perfectly entitled to to fake it and to put on whatever act he wants. And I'm like perfectly entitled to critique it and say, this yeah. is a load of shit. And the the reason why it's important is because 
I think that the persona that he created before the last election, it it won him the election. Yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't the sole issue. There's a lot of other issues that were feeding into it, but that that was like that was enough. I, if he had have just presented as another toff from the eastern suburbs of Sydney, yeah. well then, like the like you, you look at the swings that happened between those two elections between Turnbull and Morrison and not not a whole lot had changed in terms of their actual policies but you had the seats that Labor could have actually won which were the more sort of working class seats lower university education rates swung back towards the Liberal Party and the inner city seats smaller Liberal seats where Turnbull really appealed to they they swung back towards Labor but there's seats that Labor um, have never won yeah. um, and so that that's why it has an effect like it's not just it's not just like it's not just superficial stuff like this is actually like have, having an effect on the way that people vote yeah. um, and the way that people talk and, and sort of consume politics on the inverse though I mean we can't really go past you know the story of Anthony Albanese is that he's, he's being held up as you know having one of the more authentic stories in politics and and because of that, doesn't have a persona that he has to put forward. Like the persona that he puts forward is is more or less what he is. Where yeah. would that put him, kind of on on the scale of Larrikin? Because well, he, I, I I think that he's doing the. It's like that whole thing where Philip Adams says that he got he went to Parliament House with Barry Humphreys in the seventies, and he's like. All the Liberal Party made a beeline for Barry Humphreys. This is just after Barry McKenzie had gone massive, yeah. who was like the ultimate ocker character and all the liberals were like hey mate how you going like yeah. uh, andrew peacock and and all the blue bloods <laughs> were, were sort of putting on this larrikin persona the the labor party guys who were genuinely from a lot train of train drivers from, and, yeah, 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 or, yeah. Or, or, or from working class origins and that, and that's the sort of uh bill hayden paul keating sort of mold came from working class origins but never presented that way and never it never translated because there's a certain, and, and, he's, and he says that like a lot of these Labor Party figures were trying to escape the gravitational pull of class. And there is yeah. this sort of self-consciousness if you come from that, those origins that, um, and, and a certain level of shame as well about like your, your, um, your lack of education or yeah. your, your lack of being, being able to fit it in, 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 in these spaces yeah. that means that like, I, I think, um, like, I, like, I, I think we spoke last time about how, about elbow and whether he would go the full sort of bogan, and he hasn't. Like because no. I, 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 and and as much as I'd love for him to have done that, I, it's probably it's actually probably not. It's it, it, it's actually probably not going to win him an election. No, we saw, just, we saw saw a glimpse of it the other night. I had a mate call me up and goes, "No idea who Albo is because <laughs> obviously." Uh, you know, consumes that news we were talking about earlier, and he goes, "Mate, this Albanese bloke, he's a fucking sicko, isn't he?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "He's talking about." Channel 9 gave Albo a microphone leading up to the Rabbitohs grand final. There was no waving of scarves. There was no scomo sculling a beer stuff. It was absolute pure Rabbitohs South tragic dribble. And he could <laughs> and he could have gone for 20 minutes. They had to cut him off. And he's yeah. like, this is this is the true man. You know, if you catch him at a weak moment, ask him about South Sydney the night before a grand final, yeah, you're yeah. going to see the real man. And they asked him like the most <laughs> innocuous question like, oh, Albo, how does this team compare to, uh, you know... 1972. Yeah, and he goes, yes, ah, oh, well, we, so well, well, we have to start in the back line, you know. <laughs> you, you, just, you just haven't got the base um, um, in, in, in the 1972 team, and you just like... Well, well and, and, and that's the thing, is that um, if, you're a po- if you're a career politician, you're really not going to be like a full 
blown Larrick and Aya. Like, yeah. uh, like the the it, you can't so, so, someone who's a rugby already. league fan in that position was um, is, is going to be the stats nerd. Like, that's yeah. actually the, yeah. the, the legit. <laughs> and so that, the, there's this like, and, and that's what I ex- explored in the essay was that this that that Morrison because he actually isn't a legitimate rugby league fan or a legitimate larrikin or whatever you want to call it, it's a lot easier for him to, to, to fake it because he's yeah. he, he's totally separated that ScoMo persona from who he actually is. Yeah. And so he, Which he, is the son, a hyper-religious son of a police officer and mayor from Bronte yeah. in the eastern suburbs. Who's been hung over twice. Who, <laughs> who wasn't allowed to join the, the surf club as a teenager because the people there were drinking beers and like... Yeah, yeah. And, so, and then there's the first interview that he does after the... After the leadership spill, and it's with like triple triple M with uh, Maddie Johns, and he's like, and they're like, uh, what like what do you what do you like to do or whatever, and it's just all he talks about is rugby league, and um, and they're like, oh, what like b- besides the sharks, like, what's your favorite thing? He's like, I just love a beer, yeah, and, and so like it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most important political issue of the day, but it just goes to this whole sense that, like, he knew exactly what, what he needed to do to yeah. appeal yeah. To, to people who don't pay any attention to politics, and he milked that day in, day out yeah. in the last election campaign, and and I, and I think it got him – I think that's where the, these swings were coming from in these seats that had swung back towards Labor at the last election for stuff like healthcare or or work, better conditions at work. So to, to wrap, like. Morrison hasn't been able to go to a Sharks game this year and, and show to the people that he's a real person. <laughs> he's been in and out of uh, quarantine. He's, he's He would have lost a million votes the day he went to Hawaii. You know, I don't know if that'll put That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, but he's starting to look like a an incompetent kind of marketing guy. Yeah, it's, does the anti-politician thing still work? That's, that's what I'm asking. Heading into the next election, Morrison hasn't been able to show his face at sporting events. He probably wouldn't because he'd get booed <laughs> with this vaccine rollout and the and the bushfires, oh, and the you know and the Brittany Higgins and all these things that he's handled horribly. He can't really show your face in between those things, and he's hoping these submarine deals and this freedom you know coming out of lockdown will gas him back up. But he's definitely going to struggle. Just because of all the secrecy in his own government as well. You know, there's certain people that we need answers about. There's no federal ICAC. How does he play it this time around? Because he can't do the anti-politician now because he's very much like uh, a shining example of these bastards in Canberra. Mm. Well, I, I, I don't know how he does it. Like, I, yeah. I think he's still an extremely talented politician and mm. I think that he, like, um, in a campaign – He's he's extremely good because he's extremely disciplined. Uh, he's a good communicator. He keeps things simple. He knows who he's talking to. Um, he keeps he's very good at d- disseminating images that appeal to completely different audiences and say, say completely different things to to those audiences. But he can't. The, the The thing that he had last time was that nobody knew who he was, mm. uh, and he was able to just do the the um this this scomo shtick but like that doesn't work anymore and especially now that with this icac stuff that might appeal to people who are sympathetic towards gladys mm-hmm. a lot of those people are situated in the eastern suburbs and and north shore of sydney mm-hmm. and they th- those seats already vote for the liberal party at a federal mm-hmm. level does that translate to queensland yeah. and wa if you're defending politicians in canberra being able to get away with 
buttering their own nest and and and, and blind trusts. Yeah, and and, yeah. and all this sort of shit. Will that appeal in the same way? And I think that he already had problems in Queensland and WA anyway. Yeah. But I think that Labor just needs to go for the jugular there and, yeah. and turn this Canberra bubble idea back around on Scott Morrison. This mm. guy is the Canberra bubble. Yeah. He's trying to create a protection racket for the Canberra bubble. Yeah. And and yeah. I don't think that it needs to get all that more complicated than just what they've done wrong and and the and what they're trying to protect going forward and and if they can keep that really simple and just hammer it home until the like there's talk now that it could even be this year which um which would be it's so Morrison yeah, to try and get this button. done on Boxing Day. <laughs> hey, everyone loves you know the families around. Yeah. Come vote for me. I can't see. I can't see how that go. I can't see how that go this year. Like yeah. it just doesn't seem like there's enough time. Mm. But um, well, there's going to be three by elections in New South Wales before Christmas. So I guess that'll be a good little barometer. But yeah, I I, I just want them. As I said, just I reckon just ter- you need to turn this. This inside outsider thing back on the yeah. Liberal Party and yeah. and um and and pick a few if if that means picking a few fights with insiders then do that like yeah. if, if if that means yeah um attacking the entitlements of politicians will then do that like yeah he just you know it's going to be fucking hard with News Corp really I who mean, knows like, like, News Corp do follow eventually they do follow the they public do. sentiment yeah well yeah the I don't think that Rupert essentially you know is in the market of putting money on the wrong horse yeah. i think he picks one but yeah look I, it's it, it's going to be pretty tricky i think for, for labor to to really turn this one on its head oh that's I, like it's so hard to uh, it's so hard yeah. for them to win an election and that's the thing that they've won from opposition three times in the last hundred years and and that's p- partly like you can blame like some of the stuff that they've done you blame them but then you you look at it and you go the labor party in australia has actually done like to they've they've held on to a, you talk about like working class voters they've actually held on to a lot of them yeah. like there's a lot of these uh, social democratic parties around the world that have just completely lost the working class so I don't think Labor is in as dire position as some of these other parties and it is very conceivable that they could win the election they just need to like that that's why where the SA talks about sacrificing some of those the feeling of being superior to to certain people and just r- be willing to like listen and engage and maybe talk about issues in a way that that doesn't make you feel that you're superior to other people that you can actually labor can win the election it's just like just I, like anastasia did yeah you yeah. can't like it, it, the the biggest the biggest issue would be like is if you just go labor can't win yeah. murdoch um palmer the, it, like the sort of de- defeatism that that creeps in around that, it's like no, like they're there. It is actually winnable, but yeah, do they actually do it? I wouldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make any uh, brave predictions. <laughs> yeah, you don't trust the bookies or the polls either. I don't think anyone will be able to tell you what's going to happen whenever this election happens. Now, uh, for anyone who wants to read more on all we've discussed today, uh, this is Lech Blaine, his, his his memoirs. We started off this interview talking about car crash available at all good bookstores. And of course, the quarterly essay, Top Blokes. Where can you find that? That's in a that's in your medium sized news agencies and bookstores. Yeah, if the the news agencies that haven't haven't died. Yeah, <laughs> well, the mate, the, the, the disposable vapes have brought them back. Yeah. <laughs> they're making a bit of coin out of that. And of course, just online, you can check up. The- yeah, the news agency at the North Batuta shops they get in two every time the quarterly essay comes out, and there's a bloke in my neighbourhood who orders it two, and I got the other one. So, yeah. <laughs> It was pigeon pair they came. So, yeah. so hopefully, if you go down to your local news agency, talk to your 
news agent and telling him what you want and hopefully he can get it for you. Thanks for joining us today, Lech Blaine. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate.